0: Well, this is very, it's a very special day, and I, and I said it's a special day for a number of reasons. Well, this is, this, this is another reason why it's so special. My friend Jeff is with us. Jeff Toomer serves as Director of Church Planting for Leaders Collective. Leaders Collective helps, helps pastors and church planters sustain healthy, fruitful ministry so they, through Jesus' church, can advance the gospel throughout the world. From 2019... Uh, To to, to 2020, I I walked through the the church planners cohort of Leaders Collective. It was life changing. It it equipped me uh, at a time when I I really needed the camaraderie, a brotherhood. Other men who were planting churches, who were beginning churches to come alongside and just to stand with. And I learned a lot about remaining um, healthy, uh, just as a Christian, as a man, but also as a pastor. I've been pastoring for over 20 years, and I've seen a lot of guys uh, wig out, flake out, check out, all kinds of outs. Um, I know I'm not above that. And so it was really exciting to be able to partner and and, and learn from from these guys. Jeff is like the pastor over the pastors, coming alongside us at every session, um, standing with us in in, in laughter and in tears. Um, I'm thankful for Jeff. I'm thankful that he gets to meet you and you get to meet him. We've partnered with Leaders Collective ever since I've walked through it, ever since I've gone through that cohort. So we've, we've been able to partner with them. And I want you to know that, that this is important to us as a church, that we continue to partner, that we continue to send uh, people to Leaders Collective and through Leaders Collective, but that we cheer them on as well in prayer and financial support. There's more I could say about Jeff. Uh, I respect him tremendously, and I'm glad he's with us. So let's welcome him as he comes.
1: Thanks for that greeting, brother. Good to see you. Morning, local church. Is it still Morning. Yeah, all right. We got like 26 more minutes of morning. Y'all y'all uh, the 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 afternoon I I didn't, I didn't even think they give you coffee because you should have had your coffee before you got here, but thank God they did because I needed another cup. Uh I bring your greetings from uh from Leaders Collective. It uh it warms my heart to be here after uh getting to know Darren through the cohort that that he and I went through uh to see him in context of this church that he, you know, uh, he and Valerie have planted with many of your, the the help of many of the the leaders here. It's just a beautiful thing, Um, and so I commend you, uh, you know, in that regard. Uh, I could talk about Leaders Collective for the rest of my time, but I don't want to do that. Uh, Very simply, what we do, our our mantra is, is that we are for healthy pastors uh, to hopefully help them plant and lead healthy churches. What does that simply mean? It means that not every pastor that you see uh, is as healthy as they should be. Some pastors have identity issues where they immerse where what you see um, is the totality of their life, and they forget that they are actually human. Human beings who have emotional and spiritual uh, and physical needs to be a human first before they put on the mantle of being a pastor. And so we remind pastors that they are humans that have limited capacities. Uh, we also uh, deal with pastors in regards to uh, the dirty little secrets of pastors, uh, which is most pastors wish that um, they can get to a point where they can operate their churches without exerting much faith. I'm going to get people to serve in all these different different ways and, uh, and we'll just be a great church doing great things without me having to depend on the Lord. And so we remind pastors that, hey, part of your job is to live a life of faith and to model that before your, before your people. But for the most part, what we do is bring mentors, mentor pastors around guys who, who, who got us given the faith to plant churches and and through these mentors, we are giving pastors tools to help them endure in ministry, as Darren' uh, suggested. Uh, you all have seen the headlines. You you perhaps have known uh, men that have burnt out, or disqualified themselves, or just given up because of the the burden um, of of this this role that that God gives us to perform, but that has some stress to it. And so, uh, it's a privilege to to get to do that with. With pastors from around the country, uh, it is a privilege to have churches like yours that partner with us and what you do primarily when you partner with us is not just send your pastor to participate that participate in, in the cohort and, and gain from the things that we talk about, but when you support us particularly with your prayers and your financial support, it allows us to gift the, uh, the opportunity for other pastors who perhaps are in churches or venues that aren't as flourishing as your church is to gain scholarships to go through it as well. So, you know, kudos to you, local church, for for what you do. This morning we're going to be in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, and I'm excited to open God's Word for you. So if you have your Bible or your app, your iPad, go ahead and uh, turn to Jeremiah. If you're new to the Bible uh, open your Bible in half, and Jeremiah's going to be kind of on the left half of, of your Bible. And, you know, worst, comes, uh, worst situation, look at the table of contents. Your Bible's a book, right? And you've got a table of contents there. We're going to look at chapter 29 at a few verses here. Before we get to God's Word, I want to open up with this question. Why, why are you here? Why are you here? And I mean that in the specificity of, of why you're here this morning, but in the breadth of why are you here in Florida, in the place where you uh, live and work, doing the things that you do in this beautiful place called St. Petersburg. Uh, I hail from the D.C. area, and the interesting area about, the interesting thing about where I live that's kind of true about parts of Florida is, is that it's transient, uh, people are always coming and going. In in D.C. and many parts of Florida, majorities of the people are not actually from the place where they're currently living. And I think that's the case uh, for you all. And where I live, and perhaps in Florida as well, uh, people come to the area for many different reasons. But a lot of times those reasons are for the benefit of living where you live without necessarily sowing and serving fully in the capacity that God might have us to do that. Where I live, people come for, uh, for career advancement. They come for education. They come to get a job, working perhaps for the government that makes a lot of money. D.C. is the home of the security clearance. If you get a security clearance job, you know, that's the doorway into jobs all over the country and all over the world. A lot of people come to, to, to cities because they love the diversity, and you have much of that here. We romanticize about the experience. We live there a couple years, and sometimes we just move on. And so where I am in the church that I serve, we ask this question a lot to the people that are just coming through. Are you here to use this place, or are you actually willing to invest yourself? Are you just looking to advance your career, or are you here to have fun because of the ambiance? Are, are you going to invest yourself. And so I want to ask you those same questions, local church. Why, why are you here? So I did some research on St. Petersburg. You guys are, I mean, this, like, I experienced this over the last 24 hours. This place is beautiful. Uh, I took some pictures on the pier, staying at the Hampton there, and uh, just to make my family jealous. And uh, that was a that was wrong move. And so my wife, uh, kind of jotted me, so like, well, it sucks to be you. She says, of course, uh, St. Petersburg has one of the best beaches in all of Florida. And I said, I haven't even seen the beach yet, and this place is awesome. So it is a beautiful place. Uh, Wikipedia says, uh, not only are you all a coastal town, decent cost of living, but you got sunshine 351 days a year. I mean, who wouldn't want to live and work in a place like this? And in this beautiful place where you get to live, you got this barely two-year-old church that's flourishing. And I hope you guys do realize that your church is flourishing for for a church plant, a church that's still young in its beginning. And so I want to ask you, local church, do you at all love not just the the weather, the climate, the experience of living here in St. Petersburg, do you actually have any impetus to love the experience of where God has placed you? Does this show in your life? Does it show in your involvement in this very church. And so with that as a backdrop, I, wanna, I want for us to look at a few verses and a well-known passage in Jeremiah 29. And what I am carving out here really is the call of God on us as the people of God. Here's the context. This is 597 BC, 600 years before the advent of Jesus. Uh, Israel's southern kingdom of Judah has been taken into exile by King Nebuchadnezzar over um, um, the city of, of Babylon, and Jeremiah was the prophet that God had given, that he had sent to um, the southern kingdom to give them warning. Warning after warning after warning that if if the southern kingdom would continue in disobedience toward God and his word and the covenant that ha- they had made all the way back in, in Exodus, that he was going to do the thing that he had promised. What was that thing? He was going to call a nation from the north to come in and to decimate their lands and to bring them into slavery. And that had happened by the time we get to Jer- Jeremiah 29. And what, what I hope that you'll see today in the Word is that God calls you as sojourners and exiles in the places where He's put you and in the time where He's put you there. So let's read a few verses here and then we'll jump into, jump into the Word. Starting in verse 4 Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles. Whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Verse 5 Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Verse 10, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I'll visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I'll be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I'll bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these people, this setting. Um, and this, this church and her leaders, I thank you for um, the, the, the journey that they are on, God, the, the mission that you have given them, and the ways about which they are um, approaching, advancing your kingdom through church planting. Lord, we celebrate that even today. Lord, as we turn to your word, we pray that you give us heart, uh, 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 hearts to receive, ears to hear, and eyes to see all that you would have for us today. And pray that in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. So I want to give you three ideas from this text that I think are for us as the people of God. And the first is that God is responsible for placing you into exile. God is responsible for placing you into exile. And, I mean, that really is the thought that Jeremiah begins with as we jump into into, chapter 29, that if you call yourself a person of God, you are in exile. In fact, the people of God are always in exile. It doesn't matter where you are or what generation, what time you are living. If you're a person of God, a follower of Jesus, you are someone who is in exile. And in this text, we immediately know that was not a welcome thought because of the way that Israel, who had existed in Jerusalem, The the land of milk and honey, right? This was their promised land, had been yanked from it, brutally brought into slavery, and taken uh, into a land that was not their home. And and the issue here, beginning in verse 4, is God is not hiding his responsibility in this. In fact, in verse 4, the word says that God tells them, I'm the one who sent you to where you are. And I think this is not just a singular thought in the Old Testament. This is a pervasive theme throughout all of Scripture. The Apostle Peter picks up on this idea when he, in verse uh, 9 of chapter 2, 1 Peter 2, verse 9, says, But you are a chosen race. Peter is writing to the dispersed churches in the diaspora. Those um, Jews had believed in Jesus, and then because of oppression and persecution had been scattered to, to, to wherewithal. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. This is who he's calling them, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who calls you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Peter actually is reflecting the language in Exodus 19 and 20, when God had firstly brought this nation that didn't even have a name yet through out of slavery in Egypt through the Red Sea, all those miracles that he did, and then brought them to the precipice of Mount Sinai, and with thunder and smoke and lightning, God shows His glory before them, and then gives them the Ten Commandments and a covenant that they had the opportunity to to agree with God on and in that that setting, God is inviting Israel to be his people and he 's promising for their obedience to be their God. So Peter is applying this to the church. He's saying if you belong to Jesus, you have that same relationship with him. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And your purpose is worship, that you would proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Peter continues in verse 10, once you were a people but now you're God's people. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. He uses the word. He uses the word, applying it to people like you and me in the church. You are sojourners and exiles. He's urging him to abstain from the passions of their flesh. And he goes on. This is exile imagery. He's saying very simply to us, "If you're in Jesus, if you are know, if you know, follow, serve Jesus, if you're a Christian, this is who you are. Sojourner, exile. Right, be honest. Right? I mean, do, would you use that of yourself in any sense of, of the word? We don't usually call ourselves that. You're in exile. You're someone who's passing through, living in a place that's not your ultimate home, no matter where you are, or how long you've lived there. I think we get that confused perhaps, uh, especially in places like where I live and in parts of Florida where there's, that, like, the majority of the culture is actually not from there. they are transplants from, from other places. In fact, I tested out my sermon over the last 24 hours. Everybody I met that Darren introduced me to, I said, well, like, like, were you born and raised here? And, and only, like, two or three people had said yes. The, the, the majority of you all, don't raise your hand, don't spoil my sermon, <laughs> all right? The majority of you all... You, you your, your transplants, right? Perhaps your family came down here and you live here now. Or you were born and raised somewhere else and you came down to the land of the plenty, right? Like, this is a beautiful spot. Like, I'm coming back. I'm coming back to, I don't know if I'll stay, but I'm definitely coming back. And so Paul says, uh, uh, um, Jeremiah uh, encourages us, it's helpful uh, that we remember that we're an exiler and a sojourner, and not just in transient places like where I live and in parts of where you live, but everywhere. It's part of what God has called us to, because this is not our home. Where is our home? It's an eternity in God's presence. But God is the one, Jeremiah tells us, that's responsible for our exile. He put you where you are, When you are. And Paul is the one that helps us tease out this idea uh, of God being the orchestrator of where we are and and, and when we are. Paul's a missionary, he's an itinerant pastor. He traveled from place to place throughout the Roman province and he's um, going to places, preaching the gospel. He'd go to the synagogue, try to convert Jews, and then uh, when the Jews wouldn't come to faith, he'd go to the Gentiles. And he does that in Athens after having been chased out of two previous places where uh, he presented the gospel and the gospel was rejected. And so in Athens, Paul does what he does everywhere that he goes. He gets involved. He meets people. And he goes to the marketplace. He enters into the dialogue. And in Athens uh, in particular... He's given an opportunity to preach at the Areopagus. The Areopagus is like a coliseum that all the philosophers of the day would come and to hear the rhetoric, the wisdom of those who wanted to talk. And Paul was given an opportunity to come and talk. And he stands up and tells this assembled crowd what he notices about their city, what he notices about their culture. Listen to the words he says. Paul standing up in the midst of the Areopagus says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're very religious. and everything. Here's what Paul is doing. He, he firstly is observing the culture. And he doesn't shirk away at identifying the disconnect between what he sees in Athens with what the Bible says about what life and culture really should be about. They're worshiping an unknown God. And Paul says this unknown God has a name It's called Yahweh. And we know him as Jesus, the one who's come to save us from our sins. He continues in verse 26. And he made one man from every nation of mankind to live on the face of all the earth. This is one of my favorite verses in all of scripture because it reminds us it's not just Big Bang. It's not just evolution uh, of, of humanity coming from tadpole, the monkey, to, to being who we are now, Neanderthal kind of creatures that, that charts our path in this world. It's God who purposely created us, humankind, to be who we are, and He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Verse twenty-seven: That they, we, should seek God, and perhaps feel our way toward Him and find Him. Yet He's not actually far from any of us. These are these are important words, and some of you need to hear that today: That God made one man, and from all, from and, and from that one man. All mankind is made to live on the face of the earth, where God puts us. That no matter where you've come from and how you've lived up to now, you have a God that's superintending over your life. And we're not robots, we're not automatons, as if we can't make decisions, but there is this beautiful background by the Spirit that God is orchestrating life over us. He's put you where you are, when you are, and the Bible tells us that's for a reason. Peter articulates it's for the worship of God. None of of your life happens by accident. Not even the fact that you're here this morning. I love how Paul emphasizes in verse 27 that God has put us where we are, when we are, that we might seek him. And perhaps some of you this morning need to hear that God is not far from you. That there's, there's no darkness in your life there's no circumstance, there's no suffering for which God is not intending to come near to you. And the imagery here is someone who is, is blinded by, 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 by silence, by, by suffering or, or circumstance. They're groping around in the dark and they can't find their way. And even for that person, God is not far away. He, he is imminent. None of us is far from God. And so here this morning, local church, God has put you where you are, he's put you when you are, and he's put that, and he's put you there in exile. And and this is going to sound like blasphemy, but he's put you in exile, even in a place like St. Petersburg, as beautiful and welcoming and inviting, the great weather as it is. So that you can find him and be used by him, but it's not just singularly for you. It's so that you who have have found Jesus would find others who, who have not met Jesus and you would be able to introduce him to them based upon you knowing, loving, and serving him. You're not here by accident. Yet can I say this? There's perhaps some of you, even in the beauty of this context of coastal Florida, might wish that you were somewhere else. And so I think if Jeremiah, if, if Peter were here, they'd say, stop. Stop wishing you were somewhere else. Stop relying on a plan B yet to come. And, then, and instead, start fully living where God has put you because the time is short. So God has put you, God is responsible for placing you in the exile. Here's my second point. God has placed you here for the welfare of your city. We see that in the, rest, uh, in the remaining of the part of the text. Verse 5, build houses and live in them. "...plant gardens and, and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives to your sons and give your daughters in marriage, so they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease, verse 7, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and praise the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare." So what Jeremiah is inviting Israel to is to join God in his work. And in a sense, Jeremiah is articulating with new words what God intended all the way back in Genesis 1 and 2. In Genesis 1 and 2, the pattern of creation uh, of, of God is that he, would, he came in and he's forming and he's cultivating and he's filling the earth. He's filling it with, with creation. And now, several thousand years later, Jeremiah, through, the, through God, is saying, I, I want you to do the same thing. I want you to form. He says, build houses, plant gardens in verse 5, cultivate, plant produce, grow it, eat it, trade it, sell it, fill the earth. That's the cultural mandate, right, from Genesis 1 and 2. So, like, you marry and, and have kids. Let your kids marry and have kids. And invest in the life of the place where I've put you. Even in a place like Babylon, like seek God's welfare there because when you seek God's welfare there and pray to me on its behalf, I'm going to bless you too and you're going to flourish. The word welfare in verse 7 is is a, a common Hebrew word, shalom. We know it as peace, right? Welfare is a good translation. It means holistic, good, peaceful, wealth, peaceful welfare, wholeness, prosperity. In other words, Israel Judah, even in slavery, were supposed to seek the peace of the place that God had placed them in. Of course, the question that we have is and they, and I mean, they, they had this question too how in the world could God call them to this? I mean, I don't know. I, I think if I were Israel 4,000 years ago, I would be like, Lord, bring down fire on Nebuchadnezzar, kill him so that we can be released, right? That's the kind of prayer I would be praying. But I think, like Israel, we typically see two extremes where many of us live, two extremes among Christians. A lot of times, in places like where we live, Christians are no different in the culture, right? We we, we get to a place, and we live as if there is no God, or or people that see us can't even tell that we worship a God. The other extreme, however, would be the, the kumbaya effect, that as Christians, we, we stay in our houses, we close our door, we pull the blinds down, and we're, we're, we're holding hands, singing our Christian songs, drinking our Christian chicken. We're eating Chick-fil-A, right? Just <laughs> like what we all love to do. Christian chicken, and the world isn't let in on, on the party that we're having on the inside. And both of those extremes are, are extremes because we shouldn't, shouldn't side with any one of those. And Jeremiah, if he would hear, would tell us living in these extremes is not our calling, nor was it Israel's. Because God says to them, verse 5, build houses. He says to them, form, cultivate, fill the earth. He says, verse 7, seek the city's welfare as exiles and pray to them, pray to Yahweh on its behalf. He calls the Israelites to worship him, to remember his promises to them, and simultaneously seek the welfare of the, of, and, and the peace of the place where He had put them. And I think that's why where you are, when you are, the work that you're doing, the work that the careers that you have are so important. That's why what you invest your time in, what you invest your life in are important because God has placed you where you are, when you are as exiles, not for exilic sake, but so that you would have the opportunity to join him in the same mission that he's giving to the Israelites. That as you work in this place, that you fill it and form it and cultivate it, that you're going to add to the welfare of the place where you are, and it it invites God's blessing, even here in St. Pete. But the thing is, I mean, the start point is you actually have to live life where God has placed you. And I think that's where uh, the activity of your church comes in. This idea that we're called to be churches centered on the gospel. And the gospel can't just be a, buzz, a buzzword for the, the, the thing that we tap onto, tack onto everything that we do in the church world. But that genuine, true, heartfelt, gospel centered worship, like the worship that we're doing here this morning in, in our liturgy, and gospel centered work that you go to every morning. You know, laboring during the day, but also gospel-centered communities. One of the things that you guys are promoting, your, your, your community groups, are the things that, uh, that we need as the people of God to cause our cities to flourish. Uh, one of the things we see uh, in, the, uh, in the Athens text, in Acts 17, is that in Athens, Paul starts with this story of who God is and what he has done. You know, a lot of times we look at the Bible as a list of rules of things that we should do. Don't do. Sometimes we are told, we're taught, disciple, that we should emulate the people of the Bible. But if you actually read the Bible, you—I mean—you learn everybody in the Bible are—I mean—they're not worthy of us emulating them. There really is only one hero of the Bible, and his name is Jesus. And the story of the Bible is that this Jesus is the is the only one that we should be looking to for 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 life and health, and the one that that really is the object of the story. And so this story of God is a story of, uh, of, of redemption from creation to consummation. The Bible says that God created the earth, uh, the, 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 the world that we live in, as good. And he placed humanity in the midst of it and gave them uh, the opportunity to fellowship with him forever. And except man rebelled and did what God said not to do. And really, as you're reading your Old Testament, page after page is is man in his rebellion. Instead of us being image bearers of God, we chose to try to craft God in our image, right? And so as the story unfolds, God has to incarnate himself in the person of Jesus uh, so that his redemption comes to light. And in Jesus, we have this, this beautiful story of redemption breaking through, And Jesus lives the life that we should live, but we can't. And he dies the death that we deserve on a cross, right? And then you have this this glorious transaction, this beautiful exchange in the crucifixion of Jesus, where he takes on your your sin, where he takes on your guilt, where he absorbs the wrath of God that's due you because because of your sin. And what does he give you in exchange? He gives you his righteousness. And he gives you that. As John three sixteen so adequately tells us, He loves us to our death. Not because we deserve it, not because we clean ourselves up. Because but because God is just good like that. And so, after being credited with his, his righteousness through the resurrection, the story of the Bible says we have victory over sin and death. Later on in the Bible, we're told, we have the promise of Revelation 21, that Jesus is coming back again. He's going to establish a new heaven and a new earth. He's going to make everything new, such that uh, all the injustices that we see in our world, perhaps all the injustices that you've seen in your life, he's going to make those right. The hurts are going to be healed. The brokenness of the world is going to be mended, and everything, everything is going to be made new in the end that's the gospel. And some of you here this morning perhaps need to hear that for the first time and respond to it. Some of you here need to know that there's nothing you can do to earn your way to heaven. And so if if Jeremiah were here, if Peter and Paul were here, they'd say stop trying and start trusting. Trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins so that you can be saved. The gospel is the good news of what God has done, and God has placed you here where you are, when you are, not just so you can live in the beauty of coastal Florida, but so that you can bring the gospel to bear where you live and work and play so that those that you encounter, I mean, it it would just rub off of you, right? You would infect them with the love that you have for this God that you get to serve, he also intends that it would inform everything that you do in every way that you live life day to day. And so God is responsible for, the pla- for you, for placing you in exile. That's my first point. Second point, God has placed you here for the welfare of your city. Here's my final point. God has given us his word. Look at verse 8. Jeremiah 29, verse 8. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. We're going to read on in a, in a second, but, but what, what's unfolding here really is some scary stuff. So Jeremiah is a prophet, and he's saying, all right, so you got to know, there's other prophets hanging out there, and what they're saying uh, is a little sketchy. It's a little shaky. In fact, close your ears, la, 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 la. don't listen to them, because they're telling lies. And here's the sad thing that I think about when I read this. It's like we see this in our day, too. There are people who stand in in places like where I stand. There's people on the Internet. they got blogs. They have uh, social media streams. They even stand in churches. And and they do kind of some of this sort of the same thing. They influence the people of God wrongly, uh, encouraging them, I've heard from God, and this is what you need to do. So the thing that we have to remember is God has given us his word, his authoritative word, so that we, like every one of you, can read it and know what thus saith the Lord for themselves. And we see an example of this in Jeremiah 28. I can't spend a lot of time here, but Jeremiah is in, in encountering a, a prophet who ends up being a false prophet named Hananiah. And Hananiah is following Jeremiah and, and listening to Jer- Jeremiah's prophecies, uh, notably Jeremiah's prophecy that says, we're going to be in slavery for 70 whole years, and then God is going to bless us by bringing us out. And Hananiah is listening to that, saying, hey, hey, hey can I get your attention? I have heard the word of the Lord, too, and Jeremiah is lying. In fact, here's, here's God's word to you. We only got two, two, two years left. Two years, folks. Like You can hold your breath for two years, right? And, and to be honest, this would have It probably would have confused the people of God, but more so they're being forced to, who do I believe? Do I believe Jeremiah, who's been preaching doom and gloom for like years? I don't like Jeremiah. Or do I go with this guy who's bringing a smile to my face? Two years? I can do that. God is going to come and save us. Right. Hannah and I went to the, uh, to the extent that Jeremiah was uh, a prophet that got used to act out what was going on in Israel's life, in Jeremiah's life. And so uh, in one example, he had Jeremiah actually cook his food over his own dung to, to represent the stench that, God, that Israel was to, to God. I mean, that's kind of gross, right? In chapter 28, Jeremiah is wearing a wooden yoke. He's like bent over uh, to to express the yoke that slavery on the Nebuchadnezzar would be to Israel. Hananiah comes up to Jeremiah, and as he's saying, Jeremiah is a liar, he takes the yoke off Jeremiah's back and breaks it, shatters it. God gives another word to Jeremiah and says, You see this fool here? The same way, I shouldn't have said fool. That's not, I'm embellishing. The way that Jer the way that Hananiah has broken um, this, this wooden yoke, God's going to make it a yoke of iron, and be sure God's going to make you live through 70 years uh, of exile before he comes to save you. Now, what do we take from that? I, I take that it applies to us. We've been given God's word, and we're often prone to listen to voices that speak In contradiction to it, and so we have to be wary of 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 these two extremes of buying too much into the culture, but also hiding out in our Christian bunkers until Jesus comes back. God has called us to more than that, because we've been given God's word. We have this truth, the fullness of the gospel, and it's sufficient and authoritative to inform us on what it means to be God's people. And that's especially true when we read verses like, uh, verses like verse 11. Verse 11 is like a refrigerator verse. Like some of y'all got magnets. It's got, you know, like, Do I, you know Do I, I know the plans that God has for you, plans to prosper you and, and give you a hope in the future. This is the theme for women's ministries all across the country, right? This is just a happy verse. It makes us feel good. Like I, 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 I memorize. this is one of the first verses I memorized. Here's what Jeremiah says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans, to wel- uh, plans for welfare, not, not for evil, to give you a, a future and a hope. I mean, I, I like that verse. Here's the thing. We, we, we got to be careful how we interpret this verse. We can't take it out of context. We have to put it, we have to keep it in the context for which it was given, because this is not speaking of God's posture to disallow suffering in our lives. And we only need to look at the verses around it. I already mentioned this. Verse 10, here's a few words from it. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I'm going to visit you, right? And it's going to take seven whole years before I come and fulfill the promise that I have to bring you back to this place, this place being Jerusalem. What is the word saying to us? It's saying 70 years, like, like, like Jeremiah saying, hey guys, 70 years, most of you are not, be, not even going to be alive. You're going to live your, the extent of the rest of your lives in exile before God does the thing that he's promising to do, bring you back to the, the, the land of the plenty. And so verse 11 means for us, it means for them, it means for us, that this, it, it really is a promise and a future uh, 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 of hope for them, But there's 70 whole years before that's going to come about. And for most of Israel, their entire life will be an exilic life of suffering. It's going to be hard. And here's what God says to them So while you're there in this hard space of life, invest in the welfare of your city, build houses. In the places where I put you, I'm the one who sent you there. So pray to me on behalf of that place, because in its welfare, you will find your own. Don't listen to anybody who comes with a false gospel that tells you that life is going to get easier before it gets hard. The reality is you got 70 more years and then I'm going to provide rescue. But you got to get through the 70 years first. And here's how I sort of bring that into a 21st century focus. This promise in Jeremiah 29, is for us too. But it's it's for us uh, with the covering of the relate of our relationship with with Jesus, because Jesus is the one that we get to pray to. Jesus is the one that we get to seek and find when we seek Him with all of our heart. We've been given our ultimate future and hope in Jesus. That through Jesus we have a relationship with God. That through Jesus we know how to pray, and God hears our prayers because. In Jesus, he's the one that's opened the way for us through his broken body and his shed blood. He's the one who sets at God's right hand right now, today, interceding on our behalf. Jesus is the one that if we seek him, we'll find him. He takes our sin, gives us victory over sin and death. It's through him that we have a relationship with God. And so when we look at the plans that God has for us, it may be local church that the plan for your life is that it be spent in exile and suffering. And I know that sounds blasphemous, particularly in a place like, like St. Petersburg, but maybe that, that's what God has for you. That he has put you in a place that's uncomfortable and difficult right now, but it's for the sake of your soul and for your good and for his glory. And here's the message the Bible gives you. If I know I've got eternity to live my life in, in the presence of God, Bring on a little bit of suffering. And so we can't turn verse 11 to an escapism verse because it actually might not get better. I don't, I don't wish this. I don't prophesy this. It may be that we live a couple more years like we've lived in 2020, right? The, just all the, the crazy things that happen in our lives over the last year, but also that infected the church. It might be that we always feel as Christians that we're living in this exotic suffering in our country, and if by God's grace you are a person that has seasons of comfort and prosperity and ease, then obviously you should be thanking God for that blessing, but don't think that you deserve it, right? Because God is just a good God. All right, here's the last thing that, 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 that we'll look at in our text, verse 14. I will I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Now restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. I'll bring you back to the place from which I sent you in to exile. And so Israel was promised that God would bring them back home. And back home for them was Jerusalem, this land of, of, of plenty of, of milk and honey. And this is inheritance language, and the Bible is sprinkled with that throughout Old Testament, New Testament. Colossians 1, 1 Peter 1, Revelation 1 gives us this promise that as Christians, we share in Jesus' inheritance as the very sons of God. What's his is ours. And it doesn't get any better than that, because Jesus inherits everything, all things. If you're in Christ, in union with him, this is your inheritance well that you get to share with our Savior and we need to hear that, that our future and our hope is not in our careers, right? Because our careers can get derailed. We think that we control them, but sometimes they control us. Our hope and our future is not in our wealth because we can build up and we can amass a whole bunch of stuff. And one minute it's gone or you can, in, uh, you can amass an inheritance and give it to your kids and your kids squander it. I didn't hear the parents say amen. It's not in politicians who make good promises to us but don't hold true to the promises that they make. Our future and our hope as as Christians is not in gaining clout that we can change the culture in our own strength, but rather we have this future and this hope in one thing. It's King Jesus, the one who renews and restores all things under his perfect reign. So that's what we see in Jeremiah 29 local church, that we live as Christians in exile, as sojourners in this place. He's the one, God is the one who put you where you are, when you are, and his intent is that you would worship him and live fully out of, out, of, out, of, uh, out of what he's called you to. So I believe, as I close, he's placed you all here at this time. You as individuals are placed here at this time to be involved in this church, in your community, as f- in, in the fullest extent possible, and so I would encourage you, if you're one of the ones that get anxious over the things like the coronavirus and political chaos and racial tensions, I mean, we should stop stressing out about, about all that stuff going on in the culture. Is it bad? I'd shake my head and say, yeah, is there some bad stuff going on? But here's what I'm assured of, and I, not, not because I'm prophetic, but because I read my Bible, right? The, the, the Trinity, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they're not wringing their hands in the heavens like, oh my God, look at all that crazy stuff going on in America, North America, all of Europe, all the world. Like, like, what are we gonna do? God is not freaked out by that. Why? Because he has the whole world in his hands. He's got this under control. So rest assured in that. And, and here's the cool thing: he's placed you here as his emissary, this church as uh, as a, a a local embassy. For people like you. It's ambassadors to go out and sprinkle the, 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 the flavor of the body of Christ on those who have yet to taste it. You get that. That's the, that's the advantage, the privilege you have as the people of God. That's our call, local church. Uh, I want congratulate, to congratulate, congratulate you on your journey. It's so good for me to be here, to see Darren in his context. So good for me to see you all growing in your maturity, adding uh, full-time, fully paid elders on your staff. Uh, uh, I'm coming back. Invite me back, please. (laughs) But here's the thing. Last word. Last words, don't get comfortable. And here's why. Because the work has just begun. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word. Don't let it return void. Um, Work in the hearts of your people as only you can do by your spirit. Uh, Fill us with your grace. I pray for the leaders of this church and their vision and mission, God, that you would help them to fulfill it. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you all.